You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. To honor God's Word, I'm going to be reading um, our passage. We're actually going to be in two places, so if you have a Bible you want to flip to Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to be mostly. <clears throat> but I'm also... Um, going to be reading Micah 6.8. All right, so Micah 6.8 and Luke chapter 10, um, starting with Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. All right, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. If you can't tell yet, you probably will be able to tell uh, before long. I am excited this morning to worship together, to preach um, this morning. I'm just excited to, to be back. I am excited to be back. It is, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about the things that God's been teaching me through this this passage, both of these passages, um, and, and just have, I think, some really encouraging stuff to share with us. So um, pray with me just one more time, and then, and then we'll dig right in. Father, I need your help this morning. God, and we need your help to understand the truth. And so, Father, I ask again, um, that you would come, and Holy Spirit, that you would come and 
and move in this room and move in the hearts of those who are watching online. And God, that you would do all your will through these words, that you would convict us and encourage us, build us up in the faith, draw those to you that do not yet know you, and be glorified in all that is said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this story, the story of the Good Samaritan, is a fantastic, uh, is a fantastic interaction between Jesus and this teacher of the law, the lawyer. And basically, to kind of set this up, the, the lawyer, he is skeptical of Jesus, we can tell. And probably because of the irreligious types that Jesus attracts, it's not what the, it's not what the religious leaders are accustomed to. And so this lawyer comes to try and um, make Jesus stumble in what he says. He comes to try and trap him in his words. And maybe he's genuinely seeking. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it says that he's putting Jesus to the test. So I think he's really just not sure what to think about Jesus. And he wants to know, probably, he probably expects Jesus to say something when he asks this question, um, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He probably expects Jesus to say something like, believe in me. But that's not the direction Jesus goes, because Jesus is a masterful teacher, and he knows exactly who he's speaking to and how to get through to that person. And so he goes in a different direction. He, he meets this lawyer on his own turf. This lawyer is a, is a, uh, has deeply studied God's law, and so Jesus says to him, well, how do you read the law? And the lawyer, instead of reciting to him all of the law of Moses, which would have taken about a week, he, he replies with a summary, a commonly understood summary of the whole law. And he says in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and Jesus tells the guy, you're right. If you can go and obey that perfectly, then you'll live. You'll have eternal life. And this guy's no fool. He knows that's not possible. And that's exactly where Jesus is trying to get him. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to bring to the surface. You cannot fully obey this. You cannot love God the way that you've been commanded to. You can't love your neighbor with all of the energy and focus and passion that you love yourself with. So he wants to bring this man to see he's in need of grace, but instead the man replies seeking to justify himself. Okay, but who's my neighbor? Let's, let's nuance this. When we hear the command that we just read in Micah 6.8 that says we're to do justice and love kindness, we might be tempted to have sort of the same kind of reply. Okay, but 
To whom do we do justice or show kindness? Is it our brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it the black community? Is it the unborn, the poor, widows, orphans, immigrants? Is it people in America only? What about those who disagree with me politically? Am I supposed to be kind to them too? And what about online? Does that count? When we ask those kinds of questions, even subconsciously, we're doing exactly the same thing that this lawyer did. We're seeking to justify ourselves. We are recognizing deep down the impossibility of this command, the impossibility to really obey God's law. Last week, we spent a good bit of time just looking at God's heart through the Scriptures for justice. Today, I want us to see what does it look like for us to try and do it? What does it look like for us to try and be involved in seeking justice and doing justice? What does that look like for us? How do we do justice? When it comes to doing justice, there are several places we could go to in the Scriptures, great stories in the Scriptures. Um, This just happens to be one of them, and I think a, a fantastic example of Last week, what I, what I referred to as restorative justice, there's uh, retributive justice, which is like a, a person getting what they deserve for something, and then there's restorative justice, which is seeking to undo injustice. This is, this is an example of restorative justice. And then just to kind of bring some clarity, there are different layers of justice, and there are so three layers of justice. There's relief. That's kind of your first layer of justice. That's meeting an immediate need of someone's. That's helping, that's giving money to somebody that's in a bind. That's, um, that would be an, you know, an example of that would be like um, serving at a food shelter or uh, bringing in a a person into your home when they're in need of shelter or uh, fostering children, caring for the elderly. That's the, the first layer, relief, it's immediate aid. And then the next layer would be development. Development, and that would involve um, things like making financial resources available to people, programs uh, that educate, job opportunities, transitional housing like a new place, um, celebrate recovery programs, that's development. And then there's a third layer on top of that, um, and that would be reform, and that's working with, that's working with authorities, um, civic leaders, that's changing laws and the ways that our society is run. That's reform. The story of this, of this good Samaritan is, is an example of relief, but I just want to point out to you that the lessons that we learn from this story would still apply to you regardless of which layer you were involved in in doing justice. These these lessons that we're going to look at apply across the board. So, let's look at what we can learn. Lesson number one that we can learn from this story. 
Doing justice means crossing racial and cultural barriers. It means crossing racial and cultural barriers. The context of this story is really important for us to understand because the guy um, who is half dead, lying in a ditch, he's probably a Jewish man. Jesus doesn't specify. The two religious guys walk past him without helping. You've got a priest and a Levite. Two guys that if you're a Jewish man, you're expecting they're going to help me out, and they don't. Um, maybe it's because they were afraid, because the road that went down from Jerusalem to Samaria was, um, it was a steep, winding road that had switchbacks, and so it was known to be a dangerous road, and robbers and thieves would hide and, and jump people on that road. So maybe they felt afraid. Maybe they, maybe they felt like if they stopped it, it would be a trap. Or maybe they just walked by and thought, not my problem. Or maybe they thought, I don't have time for it to be my problem. Whatever the case, they walked by. And then a Samaritan stops. And we have to understand that in this part of, in this point in history, um, Jews and Samaritans did not have a good relationship. In fact, Jews looked down on Samaritans and saw them as lesser. Um, Samaritans were part Jew, part Gentile. And so the Jewish people thought, oh, well, they, they are not pure. And they also worshiped differently. They believed differently about how to do worship. And so there was sort of, there was some ongoing historical conflict. There was some, probably some racism there. There was a lot of division between Jews and Samaritans. And it's very intentional that Jesus chooses to depict a Samaritan stopping to help a Jewish man. Why? Well, the the fact of the matter is, the reality is that we tend to want to help those who are like us, who not, not just look like us, maybe, yeah, people who look like us, but especially people who think like us, believe like us, um, vote like us, right? That's who we're more drawn to, to help. If, if we're going to make a sacrifice for someone that tends to be who we're willing to make a sacrifice for, to exert ourselves for. Um, so by depicting a Samaritan going out of his way to help a Jew with material, physical, economic needs, Jesus would have made a deep impact on his audience. They would have been listening very closely to this story. Um, by telling the story this way, Jesus gives a crystal clear answer to this lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? In other words, who do I have to love? Who do I have to be kind to? And Jesus' answer is clear. Your neighbor is anyone who is in need. Regardless of whether or not you agree with them or look like them or whatever other excuses you might have. So that's our first lesson that we can take from this story. Doing justice 
crosses racial and cultural barriers. The second lesson I want to take from this story, verse 34 and 35, look at this. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I want us to see that doing justice requires generosity. It requires generosity. This is such a fantastic example of what it looks like to do justice according to the Scriptures. Jeremiah 22.3 says, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. So here's what we're, we're going to quickly find out um, if, if we get serious about trying to do justice. It's going to cost us something. What did this cost this Samaritan? His safety, maybe? He had to take a risk, put himself in a precarious situation. It cost him oil and wine. It cost him maybe his saddle on his donkey. Who knows how bloody this guy was, what he had to do with that thing. It cost him a serious inconvenience. It cost him money, a good bit of money, and he's willing to go even further telling the innkeeper, whatever else it costs, I'll pay you. Here's the reality. We absolutely cannot do justice without it costing us something. You can't love your neighbor without it costing you something. Jesus said, this is real love, that a man lay down his life for his friends. His, his love of neighbor cost him his own life. So, if you want to be all about justice, but you're not a generous person, then the reality is you're not understanding justice. You like the idea of justice, but not actually doing it. So one of the best ways that we can grow in this area and begin to grow in, in this area is by making a practice of giving to bless people in our lives, bless people in need. In other words, if we want to be justice people, we've got to be generous people. And so a good place to start is just to, just to begin to put away some money for the very explicit purpose of blessing people, so that when that need arises, your eyes are open, and you've got a little bit set aside that you can share to help somebody in need. The third thing that we learn about doing justice from this passage, doing justice requires, and this is going to confuse some at first, I'll explain myself, doing justice requires living slowly. And this is actually a huge deal. Verse 33 says, And when he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him. You cannot have compassion 
for someone you do not see. And I don't just mean with your eyes. I mean you see them with your soul. The word compassion comes from two root words, with and suffering. The word compassion means to suffer with someone, to enter into their suffering. So, what does it take to feel what another person is feeling? What does it take? What does it take to feel what they're feeling enough that you'll actually do something about it? Jesus is regularly described as seeing the crowds and having compassion on them. He felt for them. He suffered with them. You think about the priest and the Levite. They, they walked past this man half dead, and they saw him with their eyes, but they didn't really see him. I think in our modern and fast-paced world, we don't really see most people. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think maybe one of them is that we, we interact with people so often online in a way that dehumanizes people, that feels so distant and unreal that we forget that people are real human beings with feelings and hopes and dreams and pains and scars. And um, So I think that's part of it. I think part of it is that we're just so distracted and, you know, I was thinking about this, so kind of, this is kind of one of my um, soapboxes, and I've, I talk a good bit about this, about how we, we move too fast, we stay too distracted, we, we just, we're not, we don't have time to be sober-minded or to, to pray constantly the way that the Scriptures say, because we're moving constantly, we're distracted constantly, we're entertained constantly. How do we meditate on God's law day and night, like Psalm 1 says, when we're online day and night? The average person touches their iPhone over 2,000 times in a single day. And we've slowed down in some ways because of coronavirus. We've, our calendars are less full, in other words, but I don't know. I was doing a little bit of soul searching on this, and I've talked to a few people. I bet a lot of us would say, yeah, you know what? Physically, I've slowed down. My, my calendar is less full, but I don't feel any slower mentally. I don't feel like I have any more real margin in my life. And I think a big, big reason for that is because well, we don't want to feel the pain of this cultural moment. And so we distract ourselves into numbness. Or we would rather feel angry than compassionate because that feels better. And so we 
fill our minds with news and social media feeds that make us angry instead of compassionate. Um, I think you can't do justice if your life is so packed full or your your mind and your attention is so packed full that you can't see a person and have compassion for them or that you can't stop on the side of the road and help them. So I was doing some soul searching and I'll just let you ask yourself these questions as well. Do you feel like you have more emotional or mental margin than you did in February, before all of this? Do you feel like you pray more than you did in February, before all of this? Or spend more time alone with the Lord? Do you feel less anxious than you did before all of this? So, if not... I would argue we need to do some things to help us slow down. We need to probably pull out of some things or pull off of some things online or whatever we need to do so that we can slow down and start paying attention to the Lord and the way He's leading and the needs around us and the ways that He wants us to get involved. I think if we're moving at at a rapid pace, whether that's mentally or physically, we will not see or want to meet the needs around us. And just just to illustrate this, if you have kids, if any of you have kids, let me just ask you what, what happens when you're rushing to get out the door and you, you're trying to get the kids ready and one of them spills something or does something that just means you're five minutes later than you would have been, do you respond with gentleness and kindness and grace in that moment? No. Why? Because we're not compassionate people when we're in a hurry. We're just not. You ever been in a fight with somebody and said, I just, I don't have time for this. What you're saying is, I don't have time for you. I don't have time to deal with you. I'm too busy for you. And many of us live our entire lives that way. And so in order to do justice, in order to have compassion for people, in order to see the needs around us, we've got to slow down. So practically, how can we start doing that? so that we can do justice? Well, just a few little practical suggestions. I think one great thing to do is begin to pray and ask God for opportunities to help people, to do this first layer of justice, relief. Just, God, show me some immediate needs around me that I can, that I can meet, or something that you want me to get involved in in regards to development, or show me ways that you want me doing justice. If you're not sure where to start, this, I think, is a very helpful way to pray. 
pray in concentric circles. Think about, start with your, your own family and pray and say, God, are there people right under my nose in my family, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, somebody that is in need that I'm ignoring, that I'm not paying any attention to? 1 Timothy 5, in the same paragraph that Paul's talking about caring for widows, he says this, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God would say, yes, I want you meeting people's needs. Start in your own family and work out. If you skip over your own family members, that's not good. And I'm not just talking about that live with you, but look, think about your sort of immediate family, if you will, and see, are there needs that I need to address in my own family? And then think outside of that circle and think about your spiritual family, your church. Are there needs of people in your own church that you can help meet? And if you don't know, then one great next step is to get plugged into community. Start getting to know people in your church. Get plugged into a community group and start to ask around and find out, are there people that I can serve in my spiritual family? And then think outside of that and think about your neighbors and the people who live on your street and, and start getting to know them. Start Become a friendly neighbor. And as you find out about needs around you, make sure that you are the first one to try and do something about that. And then think outside of that, your community, and are there people in my community that need to be served, that have needs? And then you can even go beyond that and think globally today. You can even pray, God, is there a, is there a compassion child that you want me to adopt? Is there, are there persecuted Christians that you want me to somehow come alongside and stand up for? Are there, I mean, we can think globally. But it's just helpful to start to pray through these circles and think going from our families out. And now, saying all that, I want to just say this little caveat. Don't let this overwhelm you. You cannot, no, no one person can do it all. That's why God uses a body and people with different passions and different giftings, and He wants to use a multitude of people doing a multitude of things. And so don't, my dad always used to say, don't get paralysis by analysis. In other words, when something looks overwhelming and you just sit there thinking about like, oh my goodness, there's so much to do. Sometimes it causes us to just do nothing. That's not at all what God would have us do. So start somewhere. Start somewhere, start small, be kind to yourself. Doing justice is just one part of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. The important thing is that you let God lead you in this, in the ways that He wants you to do justice in your circles and spheres of influence. Now, the title of the sermon was Doing Justice Without Burning Out, and this last point is the key to that. And it's really what, why it's titled that. The last point that I want us to see is that doing justice requires walking humbly with God. 
Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? If you try to do justice without humbly walking with God, you will burn out. Um, or you'll become self-righteous and feel like you're, you're accomplishing righteousness for yourself. It's, it's impossible for us to keep the law of God. We cannot love God like we've been commanded to with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We can't. We cannot love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. To truly to truly love people that way, to truly love God that way, it's, it requires supernatural strength. It's only those who humbly admit that we cannot live righteously in and of ourselves. We cannot, we cannot live up to the standard of righteousness given to us in the Scriptures. Only those who admit that will receive grace from God. Those who see their own sin as evil and they confess it openly to God. The Bible says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He he opposes the self-righteous and the religious lawkeeper who thinks they can achieve righteousness on their own. Actually, most would not know this, but the most secular activists and religious zealots are more alike than they could ever possibly know. They've both created a standard of righteousness that they believe will make them a good person if they can just live up to that standard. That's exactly what the teacher of the law is doing in this story. He believed a person was saved by obedience, and he's trying to figure out, do I, do I live up to the standard? Am I good enough? This, the law, the purpose of the law is to show us that we're just not good enough. We never will be. We never can be good enough to be saved. And praise God, that's not how we're saved. We need to see, like the lawyer in this story, the impossibility of us ever keeping the law, because only then will we run to God for grace and forgiveness. We've got to stop justifying ourselves the way this lawyer tries to do, or telling ourselves we will be good enough if we could just work harder. No, no, we won't. We can keep working as hard as possible. It's still not going to be good enough. Deep down, we know we can't live up to God's standard. So, we need to recognize how impossible this is to love God this way, to love our neighbor this way, or to do justice like God commands us to do it. Only then will we see how good God's grace is and how glorious Christ is. 
I was overwhelmed by God's grace as I just thought about this, about how I go through dry seasons and these times where I drift from God, and all through it, God's grace remains enough. Remains enough. You know, if you're going through a dry season right now, you know that you're probably part of the 90%. This has been a tough go. These last months, I just want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. If you are in a dry spell, if you're struggling, if you felt distant from God, if you have felt numb, you are not alone. And God's grace is enough. When we do see how good God has been for us, been to us through Jesus, then we'll respond by loving others. That's the only way to do justice without burning out. It's when we're not doing it because we have to, but because we want to. Because of what Jesus has done for us. And what did Jesus do for us? Well, there's another message in this story of the Good Samaritan. Spiritually, we human beings were laying not half dead, all the way dead in a ditch. without hope, beat up, bound up, impoverished by sin and Satan. And the priest and the Levite, they represent law and religion. And no religion and no attempts at keeping the law or meeting a standard of righteousness will ever save us from our predicament. But Jesus the only one who is truly good, the one who, like the Samaritan, was rejected by society as an outcast, rejected by the ones in the ditch. He saw us. He came to us. He crossed every barrier imaginable by becoming a man in order to come to our aid. See how gracious He's been to us, willing even to give His own life to pay our debts. How compassionate He is that He would make our sin problem His problem, that He would stoop down in the dirt to heal our wounds. Jesus is the good Samaritan who came to us, the very ones who despised Him, and Jesus loved us as much as He loved His own life. And if we believe in Him, then grace covers all of our sins and failures and empowers us to live a life of love toward others and toward Him in return. Let's pray. Father, thank You for grace. Oh God, may we understand it. Would You give us a revelation in the goodness of the gospel? Help us to see, God, we have scales on our eyes. We 
see, but it's like looking through a glass dimly. We cannot fully see how good you've been to us, how wonderful grace is, how terribly wicked sin is. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to us. You didn't leave us dead in a ditch. You crossed every barrier. You gave your own life. You knelt down in the dirt and you healed our wounds. And ultimately, you brought us to the Father to live with you forever. And we praise you for that. And I pray that that good news, that gospel, that grace would be what motivates us to do justice and love kindness. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.